0: We are getting ready to start a three-part series starting today on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. You say, why would we be looking at the characteristics of Jesus? Well, we're in our leadership uh, emphasis right now. Jesus is our ultimate leader. Amen? And so it makes sense that when you call a new senior pastor, you're going to want him to have some of the characteristics of Jesus because we all need to have the characteristics of Jesus, right? But it's amazing to me how down through the years we've made Jesus into something that he wasn't or someone that he was not. Uh, I don't know if you grew up in a church like this, but I grew up in a church where we had felt boards and we had these little felt cutouts, right? And they would put it on the board and they would talk about the Bible stories. And Jesus was always this skinny guy that that was pale, you know, never been out in the sun in his life, uh, you know, had this this long hair and weird beard and all of that stuff, you know, he was just this milk toast kind of guy, and 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 if you look at the real Jesus, he was anything but that. Jesus was strong. He was power. I mean, he grew up in a time when you could not have a tan if you if you know, you couldn't avoid having a tan. You couldn't avoid building some muscles. You walked every place you went. He was a carpenter's son. Man, they worked with their hands. They didn't have power tools. They worked with their hands. Uh, You know, Jesus had calluses on his hands from working with his fathers, And all of those are physical characteristics. But I want us to look at, you know, his, his personality characteristics. I want us to look at at certain things uh, about him that we don't always notice, we don't always pay attention to. And, and I love this kind of study because, uh, you know, look, I played sports. I wanted my coach to be a strong leader. I wanted him, when he stood up, he demanded respect. He was somebody that we would listen to. Jesus was a strong leader. He demands our respect. He is someone that we need to listen to. In our world today, you know, God has become this, this grandfatherly figure that just sits up there and pats us on the head when we do good and and we can just pretty much get away with anything we want to do and all of that. Well, you know, that's, that's not the God of the Bible. Now, there is grace when we ask for it, grace that completely washes away all of our sin. But make no mistake, God takes His commandments very seriously. He takes the things He wants us to do very seriously. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. He wants your love. He wants your attention. Jesus is God. Jesus also followed what His heavenly Father wanted of Him. So the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at characteristics of Jesus Christ. It's not like a normal sermon, you know. What is a normal sermon? Three points in a poem, you know, that sort of thing. That's a joke, right? Okay. No, this is not a normal sermon. You're going to have ten different points every week. Ten different points every week, okay? And today, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus was a man that knew himself, He was a man that knew himself. For those God foreknew, also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You hear that? That we, as his followers, are to be conformed to the likeness of his Son and that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay? So let's look very quickly this morning at the ten characteristics that show us that Jesus, our Savior, our example, was a man that knew who he was. When I was a chaplain at Baylor Medical Center, we walked in, and one of the very first... Uh, Days of our year-long internship that I did, a year-long internship in in pastoral care and counseling, they said, fellas, at the end of this year, there's two things you need to know. There's two things you need to know. You may know it now, but you'll definitely need to know it by the end of the year. You need to know who you are and who your people are. And I thought, I know who I am. You know, I'm Dal Loftus. And I know who my people are. They have the same last name as I do, you know? Pretty simple, right? But when we got into it, I realized that they were going a whole lot deeper than that. Who are you? What really makes you tick? What really is important to you? What do you really care about? And who are your people? Who are the people that you can really depend on, you can really trust? You know that they're there for you and you will be there for them. That's part of what we're talking about here today. Jesus was a man who knew who he was. He knows who he is. Number one, Jesus said, I am. You ever thought about that? Jesus said, I am. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew He was the Son of God. Jesus knew he was the Savior of the world. Jesus knew that salvation for all mankind rests on his shoulders. Jesus understood that. Jesus didn't try to shy away from that. He didn't try to downplay that. He knew. He knew that all of salvation for all of mankind rested on his shoulders. I was talking with my, my, my son, and uh, my son and his girlfriend are here today. We were talking, and we came over about, you know, C.S. Lewis's famous line where people would say, oh, Jesus is a good guy, but he's not the son of God. Good guy, but he's not the son of God. And what did Lewis say? Lewis said, no, you can't have it that way, because this man stood up and told the whole world he was the savior of the world. Now, either he was who he said he was, or he was a crazy man that had illusions of grandeur, Or he was a liar, knew he wasn't the son of God, but misled people anyway. Or he was who he said he was. And so Jesus knew who he said he was. He said, I am. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Oh, I'm a Texan, I'm an American, I'm a this, I'm a that. No, 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 no. Deeper, deeper. Do you know who you are? Can I tell you one thing that you are today that most Christians don't ever think about? You are God's greatest creation. Did you know that? You are God's greatest creation. Man, I love to go to the mountains. The the. the, the, the The grandeur of the Rockies, you know, the Alps in Switzerland. Oh, my goodness. And you look at God's creation like that and you say, man, oh, unbelievable. I love to go to the ocean, the beach, see the the big waves crashing against the rock. I love that sort of thing. I love the foothills of Texas. You know, just south of Austin, beautiful Rolling hill country. You look at that and you say, man, there must be a God. Let me tell you something. None of that, none of that is anywhere close to the grandeur of you. You are God's greatest creation. Much greater than any mountain, any ocean, any rolling hill. You are his greatest creation. You are the epitome of his creation. That's who you are. And man, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and you are so important that God sent His only begotten Son to die for you. That's how important you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. You see, when I think in terms like that, it's hard for me to to feel, feel like I'm not worth much when I understand who I really am. Jesus said, I am. He knew who he was. Number two, Jesus kept in constant contact with his boss. You ever thought about that? (laughs) Jesus kept in constant contact with his boss. He got up early in the morning to pray. We talked about that a few weeks ago in a sermon. He got up early in the morning to pray. Sometimes he would stay up late, late, late at night to pray and what was Jesus constantly saying? what was he constantly saying to his disciples? He was constantly saying, "I am here to do my father's business. I am here to do my father's will." Jesus was not here to do his own thing. he was here to do his father's will so Jesus knew that for him to to be the person and, and who god The Father sent him to be at that time, at that moment in time. He had to stay in constant contact with his boss. Number three, he stuck to his mission and was passionate about his cause. You ever thought about that? He stuck to his mission and was passionate about his cause. I confess, can I confess something to you? If I'm not real passionate about my cause, it's pretty easy for me to get sidetracked. It's easy for me to get sidetracked if I'm not passionate about my cause. Jesus was passionate about his cause and and he stuck to his mission. You know, Jesus what did Jesus say? He said, "It's better if we're hot or cold." He said, "I want you to be for me or against me, man. Don't be lukewarm." Jesus was never sidetracked from what he was doing. He was always to be about the will of his Father. He was always doing what he was called to do. Now, you may say, well, you know what? Jesus was on his way to do this, and then he got sidetracked because he had to go heal this person, or he had to go, you know, uh, he was called to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Well, see, Jesus understood that ministry was what he was here to do. When I was a senior pastor of a church that had several people on staff, I, I'm a planner, man, and I make lists, and, and I like to check off the boxes, you know, and I like to feel like I got something done that day. Are you like that? Sometimes some of you are like that. Some of you go, man, you're weird. I'm not like that, you know. But, but I like to feel like I got my things done that day. But, but you know what I found out? Real ministry gets in the way of your schedule, Real ministry gets in the way of your schedule, man. I, you know, I'm supposed to do this, 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 and this. Oh, but, you know, so-and-so's brother just passed away. Or, or or so-and-so just had a heart attack. You need to get to the hospital. Or, you know, this marriage is going through a rocky time. They need to see you. or You know what? That, that's not on my schedule for the day. Jesus never let his schedule get in the way of his ministry Jesus always knew he was here to minister to people and so we need to understand he was he was he had a mission and he was compassionate about his cause he had a passion about what he was doing here again what are you passionate about what are you passionate about? Man, I'll tell you what, I know people that are passionate about getting the latest uh model of a car. It's true. It's what they're passionate about. I know people that are passionate about their college team winning their next ball game. It's true. That's what that's what they're passionate about. You know? Is there anything that has to do with your relationship with God that you're passionate about? Man, I'm passionate about getting up in the morning and spending time with my Lord. I'm passionate about telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about being a faithful member of Willow Bend Church so that we can grow this church into a bright, bright light of ministry and love here in Plano, Texas. That's what I'm passionate about. Are you? See? What are you passionate about? Jesus never lost his passion. He was a passionate guy. Number four, this is important. This is important. Jesus believed in himself. You know that? Jesus believed in himself. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten to where, you know, if we're going uh, to the, have the right measure of humility as a Christian, we can't really believe in ourselves. Or we really can't believe in our church. Or we really can't believe that God can really move. Well, you know, maybe No, Jesus believed in himself. What did Jesus say? Jesus called himself, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the shepherd. Jesus believed in himself. Now, here again, go back to one of the first points. You are God's greatest creation. Jesus Christ died for you so that you're could be a part of the family of God, so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be born again to a new kind of life. Jesus has called all of us to have a ministry. Jesus wants us to be passionate about what he's called us to do. You know what? He wants you to believe in yourself. Not because of who you are as a human being, but because you are God's greatest creation... And the Holy Spirit indwells your life if you've been born again. What is there not to believe in? He wants you to believe in yourself. We should believe in ourselves because as the old preacher said, God don't make no junk. But how many of us get up in the morning and we're weighted down by our cares or weighted down by our failures, failures, we're weighted down by... Our disappointments in life. And and quite honestly, we don't believe, we're having a hard time believing in God. We certainly don't believe in ourselves. God wants you to believe in yourself. He believed in you enough to send his son to die for you. He loves you. He cares about you. Believe in yourself. And see, when you take that a step further, you believe in your group you believe in your church you believe that Willa Ben can make a huge difference and be a bright light shining in this area because God is not God does not associate himself with failures in the sense that the failure is his fault i mean hey am i a failure you bet <laughs> i'm a sinner Saved by grace. But because of God's love and grace in my life, I'm not a failure. And because of his love and grace in my life, I can believe in myself. Jesus believed in himself. Number five, Jesus had some internal anchors. You ever thought about this? Internal anchors. Sometimes if, if, you know, have you heard the old story? If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. Anything? If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. Well, well, Jesus had internal anchors. Jesus said, why do you seek after people's approval? Do not seek after people's approval, but seek after God's approval. Our world is a great example of how man's approval shifts, doesn't it? If you did something 40 years ago, that would be approved. Today, it might be scorned. You do something, you know, 10 years ago, it might be scorned. Now it's approved. How in the world can we ever find a, a, a bedrock to stand on if we're always looking to the approval of man? No. No. Seek the approval of God, and you stand on solid ground. And it doesn't make any difference how hard the winds blow or how hard the storm hits. Man, you're latched to something that is eternal, something that's strong and eternal. Jesus had internal anchors. God's will was Jesus' only compass. You ever thought about that? God's will was Jesus' only compass. Number six, I think this is really important. Jesus did the difficult things. Jesus did the difficult things. I know some really fine people. They are wonderful, wonderful people, and I love spending time with them, and I love being around them. But let me tell you something. When the tough times hit, they are not good to be around. Why? Because they do real good until the difficult times come, and when the difficult times come, they fall apart. You see, Jesus did the difficult things. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and subjected himself to Satan's temptations. Temptations about food, temptations about power, temptations about wealth. Jesus submitted himself to those temptations. He put himself in that situation. He did the difficult things. Jesus had had his public ministry going on three years. He knew that there were people out to get him. He knew that the Jews in Jerusalem were very, very, very unhappy with him. Jesus could have said, You know what? I'm going to stay out here in Galilee. Or I'm going to move around to where it's hard for those dudes to find me. So I can keep teaching God's word. Well, that makes sense to me. Doesn't it to you? But you see, Jesus knew what his mission was, and he knew that part of his mission was not to hide away from the religious authorities. He knew that part of his mission was to go into the teeth of the beast, that he had to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be flogged. He knew that he was going to be scorned. He knew that he was going to go through a mock trial that didn't didn't follow any of the Jewish laws. And he knew that he was going to be hung on a cross to die. But he didn't step back. He did the difficult things. Jesus did what he was called to do. Number seven, Jesus said, thank you. Jesus was not above saying thank you. Before he commanded Lazarus to rise, what did he do? He thanked God for always hearing him. He thanked his heavenly Father. Father, thank you for always hearing me. Thank you for ahead of time. He wasn't above saying thank you. Number eight, Jesus owned it. You ever thought about that? Jesus owned it. Jesus knew the world belonged to him. He knew that he had a great responsibility, and he owned it. I had a youth minister at my former church. He was a really nice guy, good-looking guy, good personality. People liked him. The old ladies loved him, you know. He was a hugger, come up and hug them, you know, and they just loved him to death. Only problem was he was our youth minister. And he wasn't a good youth minister. And one of the reasons why he wasn't a good youth minister was that he didn't own it. He didn't take responsibility for it. He didn't take responsibility for his ministry. And and, and we would sit in staff meeting, and, and time after time after time, we would say, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And you know what? If you told him what to do, he was great at doing it. Man, he did it. He was great at following directions. He was great at doing what we asked him to do. The only problem was that that he was the minister to our youth. That was his responsibility. He should have taken ownership of it. And, And quite honestly, we were paying him way too much just to be somebody that only did what we told him to do. He needed to take ownership of that ministry. He needed to have initiative. Go before the Lord and say, God, where are we headed next? What do you want to do with the youth group? What, what do you want to do with the young people in our church? And even though he was a good looking fella, and even though he was he was very boy, people loved him and the old people loved him. And, and all of, even though all of that, you know what? We had to, we had to let him go. Why? Why? Because he didn't take ownership of the ministry that God had given him. Now, he was getting paid. (laughs) Most of you are not. (laughs) But what ministry does God have for you that he wants you to take ownership of? He wants you to get excited about. He he wants you to, 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 to pray about and have a passion about. We'll come back to this in a minute. But Jesus knew that the world belonged to him and and what did Jesus say? I mean, what did God say to Jesus? All all of this I give to you. Why don't you take care of it? And Jesus owned it. He owned it. Number nine, Jesus was willing to look foolish. You ever thought about that? He was willing to look foolish. Can I tell you something? You can't explain everything all the time. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. And and, and when willowbin starts growing and more people start coming here and you have more people that are wondering what's going on and more eyes that are watching what's going on, you can't always explain everything that's going on. You just can't do it. And Jesus understood that, and he was willing to look foolish. God can't use people who are always worried about what other people think about them. Just can't do it. You can't do it. You know, people thought Noah was a deluded engineer. Oh, my goodness, look at this boat that he's building. Crazy man. Crazy man. Moses, they thought he was a magician, you know, bringing water and blood out out of a rock. Isaiah he ran around naked for three years. look I'm not I'm not advocating that okay but but he was God's servant. he was God's prophet. people didn't understand him. I don't know if I would have. but Isaiah didn't care. Elisha he had to go around begging for food. He had to go around begging for food. And let me tell you what was Jesus Jesus what was Jesus's greatest sin when it came to the authorities? He was a blasphemer. He was a blasphemer. And when did throughout the 3 years of Jesus's ministry when did he explain that? Not until the very end. He didn't worry about people misunderstanding. He knew what he was to be about. And not until the very end did he say, yeah, I'm the son of God. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Christ. He said that to his disciples earlier, but he didn't say that to the authorities until the very end. But he didn't worry about what they said about him. He didn't worry about it. And we can't always worry about what people say about us either. And number 10, he sacrificed himself. You have to have... uh, you know, you, you have to have hold of of who you are to be able to give yourself away. Jesus knew who he was, and he was willing to give himself away. If you're going to be in real ministry, guys, you're going to have to give yourself away on a regular basis. Instead of doing this, this thing that I would probably rather do, I'm going to do this because this is what God wants me to do. Sacrifice your own wants, your own desires to put yourself under the lordship of God's will for your life. Now, now you look at all this and you say, well, wow, what is all this? Ha- I, I know you're preaching to us, but what does this have to do with leadership? Let's go back a minute and look at these things very quickly because it's very, very important that your pastor, your next pastor has some of these characteristics. Look here. Your next pastor needs to know who he is. He needs to know who he is. You see, if he knows who he is, he's not going to be swayed back and forth by people pulling him in different directions. And can I tell you something? I don't care if your church runs 50 or 5,000, there are people who are going to pull you in different directions. And he needs to know who he is. And he needs to know what he's here to do. Jesus kept in constant contact with his boss. I want to tell you something. Your next pastor needs to stay in constant contact with the Father. He needs to be in constant contact with God. Because if he's not, guess what? He's going to start doing his own thing instead of God's thing. And as much as you may like him, you want him to do God's thing, not his own thing. Amen? Yeah, that's right. He needs to stay in constant contact with the Father. He needs to, 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 to have a mission and, and be passionate about his cause. I, I want to tell you, guys, you, when you call your next pastor, he needs to be passionate about being a pastor of a local church, and he needs to be passionate about Willow Bend Church. He needs to love you guys. He doesn't need to be a guy that's looking to, okay, I'll get some experience here, and then I'll go someplace else. He needs to be passionate about what can happen right here in this place. He needs to be passionate about the mission and the cause right here. He needs to believe in himself. He needs to know who he is. You know, believing in yourself is knowing who you are, but it's also knowing who you're not. (laughs) You know, some pastors don't believe they're near enough, and some pastors believe they're way more than they ought to be. You know? And so he needs to know who he is. Yes, he's a leader. Yes, he's a prophet. Yes, he's a witness. Yes, all of those things. No, he's not the supreme ruler of all the universe. No, he's not God. No, it doesn't mean he doesn't have to work with the elders and lead the congregation. When I was a full-time pastor, I used to say, you know, yes, I have a lot of power. I knew I had a lot of power. I'd been at the church for 15 years. The church had, had had 90% of the people that 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 were attending that church had joined since I was the pastor. But you know what? Your next pastor needs to be the kind of guy that the more power he has, the more careful he is about how he uses it. Very, very important. Very, very important that he understands who he is. Very important that he has internal anchors. That he has internal anchors that, that as much... Listen, don't get me wrong. If, if it doesn't matter, if it didn't matter, you know, if it, if it didn't matter, I, if I thought it didn't matter to God and it would please some of the people in the church, sure, I'd do it. You know, why beat your head against the wall? Why not please people, right? But at the same time, You cannot go about pleasing people if you feel like it's to the detriment of the overall church. And you can't go about pleasing people, certainly, if it's against God's will for your congregation. You just can't do it. Can't do it. You know, we live in a world today where a lot of people think... Can I tell you what a lot of people think? That God is an American. Did you know that? You know God's an American? Did you know that God would, would, you know... Up in heaven, we're not going to see any other national flags, but we're going to see the stars and stars and stripes. It's going to be right up there, you know? That God loves America more than he loves any other country, that God loves Americans more than he loves any other people. You know, all of that said, you, if you didn't know that, you just don't know what's going on, right? I mean, I got in trouble once because I had this old general in my church, and he's a great guy. And don't get me wrong, man, I'm as patriotic as the next guy. And I love patriotic music, and I love being an American. I think I'm blessed to be an American. But he wanted the American flag up on the stage prominently all the time. And, boy, you talk about making a, making somebody mad when I said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> boy, he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all but I wanted to say, you know what, there are times for that. And we would have patriotic uh, uh, services sometimes around the 4th of July and things like that, and, and we'd pull it out. But you know what? As much as I am proud of being an American, God is not an American. He's not. And, and this is going to blow you away. God loves those folks over in Syria and those folks in Iraq and those folks in Iran every bit as much as he loves you and me. He does. And you see, maybe someday, there may be somebody in your church that wants to come to the new pastor and he wants to put pressure on him to do this or that and the other. And the pastor says, you know what? We can't do that. That's not who we are. That's, that's, not, that's not how I feel like we need to be. And, and there's going to be pressure. And, well, he needs to have internal anchors that, that guide him. He needs to be able to do the difficult things. Sometimes you ha- sometimes when you stand up for a principle or you stand up for the right thing, then then it may cost you members. People might get upset. People might decide to leave. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying make a stand over something stupid. You know, I have a friend that teaches uh, young preacher boys in seminary, and you know what his first you know what his first rule is. Have I told you all this? His first rule about being a pastor. Here's his first rule. You ready for it? Don't be stupid. That's his first rule. Don't be stupid. But but sometimes you have to stand up for things that might cost you. And and uh, you know I, I know there was a big contingent at my very first church years and years ago that said and there was a lot of people and we didn't have a lot of people and and they were gonna they said you know what we will join your church if you will start if you will just submit to the, 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 the truth that God's only real version is the King James Version of the Bible. Submit to that and start preaching out of that and we'll all join. Man, our budget would have taken a... a I mean, it would have jumped by 40%. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I have nothing against the King James Version of the Bible. But it's certainly not God's only version. You see what I'm trying to say? But make no mistake, there were deacons in that church that said, look, man, I know it's not right, but think of all we could do with that kind of money and those people coming. Why don't you just compromise just a little bit? And and your next pastor needs to have internal anchors and he needs to be able to do the difficult things even when it's not easy to do it, even when it's not easy to do it, he needs to be able to say thank you. He doesn't have such an ego that he can't he can't be appreciative of all you're doing. When when I left my last church, I, I told him, you know, and 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 the church had grown and prospered and and life was good and and, and all that. But I believe this with all of my heart. I said, you know what? I believe a pastor is a lot like uh, the drum major of the Aggie band. You know, I'm an Aggie. Yeah, that's true. And the Aggie band is very impressive. And that drum major sits out there in front, and he leads the way. And I told him, I said, but you know what? As a pastor, I've been able to stand out in front, and a lot of people have been focused on me, and I've been able to lead the way and all that stuff. But the bottom line is, I never made one bit of music. It was you guys that made the music. I just got to stand out in front and lead the way. When you call next pastor, he needs to understand that. He needs to understand that, yes, he gets to stand out in front and he gets to lead the way, but never, ever forget that it's the congregation that makes things happen. And without the congregation, you're dead in the water. He's able to say thank you. He He's able to own it. Guys, I'm telling you something. You don't need to call a guy that cannot own his ministry here. That if something goes terribly wrong, he says, well, you know, that's not my fault. I mean, that just happened. No. You know, he needs to be a guy that's willing to dig in with the elders and the congregation and everybody else and say, let's get this thing turned around. Let's take ownership of it. Let's get it going. He needs to take ownership of it. You do not want a guy that says, whatever happens is God's will. A lot of things happen in this world that ain't God's will. Did you know that? A lot of things happen. In the Garden of Eden, nothing happened that wasn't God's will until they ate that apple. Since then, a lot of things have happened. And so, you need a guy that's going to take ownership. You need a guy that doesn't worry about looking foolish sometimes. I give you an illustration very quickly there, there was a there was a really strong couple in one of my churches and and they were great people they were wonderful wonderful people and and they they uh, they had marital problems nobody knew about it of course but me and they came to me and one of them had had uh, had had had, a, had had an affair and they were going through difficult times and uh, and i I was counseled them and they went through all that and and the bottom line is, they were able to mend their marriage and move forward. It's beautiful. It was wonderful. <clears throat> but I knew too much. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and they thought every time I looked at them, I thought about our counseling sessions, which is not the way my mind thinks. I did not. But they thought that. And so they came to me one day and said, we love you. But we want a fresh start someplace else and we're going to go to another church. I said, okay. I understand. I hate to lose you. I understand. Well, guess what? It went around the church that I had done something mean to them and run them off. And it was, it was my fault that they left. I wanted so bad to get up and say, not so, let me tell you the truth. Could I do that? No, I couldn't do that. I had to keep my mouth shut. You know? What makes it even worse is that when I left, about six months after I left being pastored there, they came back. That just solidifies everybody's <laughs> idea. Oh, sure. Exactly. Right? <laughs> But I couldn't. I, I, I had to keep my mouth shut. I had to, I couldn't do that. You know, sometimes you just got to be willing to let people misunderstand. Sometimes you just got to be willing to, to look foolish or, or, or understand that they were, are not going to understand. It's okay. It's okay. Your next pastor needs to be able to do that. And uh, your next pastor needs to be willing to sacrifice himself, not to the point where it ruins his marriage, not to the point where he neglects his kids if he has any at home, not to that point, but to a place where the most important thing to him is being the leader God wants him to be here, not his ego, not his vision, not what he wants, but what God wants in that place. And that takes sacrifice, guys. That takes sacrifice. It'll take sacrifice on your elders' part too. It'll take sacrifice on all your leaders' parts to be what God wants instead of what maybe you want. What he wants, and so I know I've hit you with a bunch of stuff today, okay? But 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 we're trying to paint a picture. We're trying to paint a picture as as to what you know how we can follow Jesus as our example, and how and and the kind of person that you need to be looking for when that time comes to be uh, your next pastor. You know, somebody that 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 truly does follow the example of Jesus.